people don't know this about Jan, I'm going to brag him up a little bit. I can't thank Toronto enough for how they received me. I guess that's why I never became an elite athlete. I was too good of a loser. Heck yeah, that game was freaking badass. Welcome to episode 10 of Digging In with JPR and Sevia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne. We have officially reached double digits as we approach the All-Star break. And on today's episode, we have Jan Gomes, Brazilian baseball pioneer, former Blue Jay. And JP, you can correct me if my research is wrong here, but former JP Aaron Sevia backup at the University of Tennessee. Uh, well, I'll correct you because he was the second catcher, but he was the starting first baseman. So not my backup. Uh, he, he still played. He was an All-American as a freshman, um, but he played first base. And then when I left, uh, to, I'd signed. He was younger than me. Then he came in and he, he took over. But uh, one of the better guys, also the first Brazilian-born major leaguer uh, in history. So pretty cool to, to be the first person of your country to make it to the big leagues. And obviously he's been one of the bigger you know, players for the – Cleveland Indians he was a silver slugger one year and uh you know the Blue Jays kind of I feel like lost on that trade uh because that was a big part of the Mike Avila's trade and and the whole Farrell thing and all that in the offseason so uh I think the Blue Jays definitely uh didn't win that trade yeah I think they'd rather have uh Jan Gomes last few years than Esmo Rogers for that little stretch that they had him going he was he was good for about you know six starts but I think you'd rather have Jan Gomes at six the end of the starts day. or silver slugger uh pretty <laughs> easy so yeah we're gonna get into him with him about his time with the Blue Jays and of course uh the Brazilian aspect we're happy to talk a little about World Cup and World Cup heartbreak, which is something that I feel very strongly right now with England going yeah, I'm, out. I'm glad. So I'm, me and him I'm, hopefully can come. I'm very excited to see that you're still alive and you, you've made it, even though uh, that England did not make it through onto the finals. But funny enough, when I asked him about uh, the podcast and coming on, he was like, are you guys going to try to give me crap about Brazil. So obviously it's a little bit of a of a sour subject for anybody who has a fa- uh, who has a fan base and also I'm going to admit on here I almost texted you texted you and said, "Hey man, congratulations cuz I did not realize that England lost." I saw a meme that said like everybody in England uh in, with their beer and I ima- I imagine that it was after the first goal, but I thought it was after the finishing of the game. And so I almost texted you like, aren't you happy? So if I would have done that and I, and I would have legitimately been thinking that, that England won, would you have, would you have been very upset at me? It wouldn't have been the best scene. Honestly, I had a lot of people inquiring after my health or well-being after that. Like I, I got a lot of, out, it's good, you know, an outpouring of support. Uh, it, it was a tough one to take. We don't have to go into it too much. England didn't deserve to win. So sometimes that's easier to take when your team is clearly the worst team. It wasn't like bad luck. It was like they came out, they were worse. The other team deserved it. I feel like sometimes that's a little bit easier to take. Gosh, what a good, what a good loser you are. Good loser. That's why I guess that's why I never became an elite athlete. I was too good of a loser. Could accept it too easily. <laughs> that's, that's probably part of it. Mental, mental side of it right there. Yeah, yeah, not all of it, but part of it. So today we're at, well, we're coming up on the All-Star break, and that's sort of the unofficial halfway point. I know that we, we're past 81 games now, so it's time to reflect on the Blue Jays, where they are, 
what they are. And so we're going to do that by talking about a couple of things that have impressed us and what's disappointed us. So JP, you're the eternal optimist. So let's start with, for you, what has impressed you or who has impressed you on this scuffling Blue Jays team? Well, for me, Teoscar Hernandez has been my my bright spot. Uh, he's been a guy who even... It, it not only what he's done on the field, I've been around the clubhouse quite a bit and around the guys, and he's a guy who I can tell he has that it factor in between the ears, uh, which is what separates a lot of guys. Obviously, he's going to continue to get better as he gets more experience, as he continues to go out there. It, you saw the home run he hit in Boston, the dead center field, and for people that don't understand, I've taken batting practice, played there many times. That is not easy, and he, he is has unbelievable easy, easy power. And this guy has gone out there this year so far and been able to hit 14 homers. He'll end up with over 20. His RBIs are a little bit down, but that doesn't really show what he is. It shows what the people in front of him are, right? Because if you have guys on, you'll have more RBIs. But he's also played phenomenal defense and or not phenomenal defense. He's gotten better throughout the year. So I think he's going to be a guy who is going to be one of the cornerstones, he's going to be one of those guys that hits over 30 home runs. I, I truly believe he's going to be over a 30 home run hitter. And, and a guy, he might not hit 300. He he might be a 260, 270 hitter kind of guy. But I see him driving in more runs. And I see him being a huge part of this team, which I think was a... Now you have to give the, the credit to a good trade. I think picking him up for Liriano was, was... Eventually will show some real, real big dividends. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about Jan Gomes being kind of a dark trade in Blue Jays history. That could wind up being a really good one. And I was going to package Hernandez with Randall Grichik for my bright stop for the Blue Jays. I know Grichik's overall numbers don't look that great just because of how horrible his start was. But this is a team that the core, it's not really clear what the core is beyond potentially Vladdy and Bo going forward. And those guys, those corner outfielders look like they really could be something. Both have phenomenal power. Kind of similar players in a way, lower on base, high strikeouts, but really, really good power. So if you surround those guys with guys who can get on base a little bit more, guys who may be a little bit quicker, then I think both of them have the potential to be real run producers for this club going forward. I especially like Grichik's defense. Hernandez's defense is a work in progress. As you said, it's gotten better. Um, there's still ways to go there. But that pair for me on a team where there aren't that many players that look like building blocks, you could think of those two and that corner outfield setup as being something we see for potentially the next couple of years. Yeah, and the cool thing for me about Grichuk as well is I think he's a swing man, right? Like you could play him center field and he's going to go out there and play good defense. You can play him in left field. You can play him in right field. He's a guy that is like super, super utility for the outfield. I think that's a positive as well because obviously we don't know what's going to go on with Kevin Pillar uh, here in the coming future. Teoscar, not as much, right? You, he, you look at it more as a left fielder. Uh, and again, you, he's getting better defensively, but, but obviously may, not as athletic in the sense of what Randall Grichuk brings to the table. Uh, but I, I, again, I think, I think that if you're looking at the positives, you're, you're seeing a lot of, of – Good things as of late. Guriel Jr. out there making some good plays. I think now in baseball, the one thing that's fun, right, to be excited about is I think the Yankees prove that you can rebuild and be a winner really fast. So instead of the old rebuilding days of it taking forever to rebuild and 
oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I think the Yankees last year proved that if you have the right young players and you develop them the right way, you can win quick. And I think that here at the deadline, we're going to have opportunity to make some really good trades that are going to give us that opportunity to build quick, get players that can really impact and, and have a fun young team. Because not that I think that they're obviously completely done, but I mean, let's let's be honest. It's, it's Right now, it's... They're selling. They are, they're selling pieces. Like, there's no doubt yes, about it's, it. Yes, right now, it's, uh, there's a sale. Overall, we have the, the red tags like let's, on our players right now. Like, here's 50% off. Here's 40% off. This guy, maybe not. Maybe he's 15% off. But we definitely have pieces that people want. Um, I don't like that, that J.A. Happ has been uh, not as good lately, but I still think his line doesn't even show what he's been doing. I mean, think about even the before a grand slam from, from Mookie Betts. I think you think about the ball that they could have been out of that inning, and then all of a sudden it gives, a, it gives up a grand slam. So the, the numbers are a little different. I still think he'll be good, but I don't like that he has been not as great because I feel like teams could be able to be like, well, maybe maybe we're not as interested or try to play the card, right, and use that against uh, the Blue Jays' advantage. Yeah, there's no doubt that it's it could affect his trade value in a negative way. I think he's one of the steadiest guys in the game. I think everyone knows that. I think there's still going to be a very, very strong return on him just because everyone needs that third starter, even second starter in some rotations. So... Moving on to the disappointments, there are, there's a little bit more to choose from, but what has been something you have thought was going to happen coming to this year that's really hasn't materialized or a guy that hasn't produced the way you'd like to well, see? Well, I it? mean, I, I have to be honest. The pitching obviously has been the, the, the tough part for me. I think here's the, 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 the one, if you're going to give me one disappointment, and I have to say it, is, is Robert Azuna, obviously, because of not only what he did off the field, but by being selfish and doing something terrible like that off the field, it completely shattered a team. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's something for me that is closers in baseball. Why closers get premium money is because they are so important. And this guy is a proven big-time closer, right? This guy is not just your regular like, oh, we'll throw him out there. Like he's proven at a young age. He is a dominant closer. And when he's out there and he's, he's helping the team – that team gets better because now everybody is pushed forward. So instead of bringing people in that you wouldn't bring in in the fifth and sixth, now you're having to bring in other people that are in the fifth and sixth. And those guys that were in the fifth and sixth, now they move back to seven and eight. And those are two high leverage innings. It's not easy. I mean, Tapera, you as a setup guy, look how good he was. He's been put in the in, into the closers role and he hasn't been as good, right? And so then now he's got a shoulder issue, all these different things. So for me... That's what's been really disappointing, and I'm not going to put it on the players as much. There's something for me, too, that I have to kind of speak my mind on, and you know I'm not very negative, but one of them is we should have had Barucki up earlier, okay? If you're a team that wants to win, and you're and you're obviously everybody says they want to win, but when you want to win, you bring up the guy who can help the team immediately, and I don't care about service time. I don't care about any of this stuff. If you want to sh show a team and – fans and then whoever it is for that matter. I, I think Barucki is a guy who should have been up here earlier because you can see what he is you see what he's capable of doing. Also, the reason why I say that is because I know that they even thought about keeping him on the team 
from spring training and keep him in a bullpen and getting him getting him his feet acclimated to the big leagues and then pushing him into a starter. So if that's the case, it pisses me off because I mean, look what this guy's doing, and it could have it could have put you in a better situation to not be as far back. So that's where for me again, I think the pitching Ozuna for me is the most disappointing part of this season. Also the pitching, and again, you have to have more depth, man. We see it, and this is something that I'm sure they'll be able to do uh, during the the All Star break and, and during the trade deadline. You if you have if you don't have six or seven good starters in the major league starting pitchers if you don't have it and what i mean by that is two or three of them in triple a that are dominant you're in trouble man it i i mean it it hurts because somebody's gonna get hurt and then you bring up somebody and you you have a stop gap but a stop gap doesn't help you win a stop gap is just the guy that goes out there and gives you a start so that you don't have to just burn everybody else up so that's that's I'm not ever negative for the most part, and but that's something for me that that has killed me because I, I man, you see baseball. Look at the teams that are in first place; they all have they all have the best bullpen. We're we don't have the best bullpen. We don't have a good bullpen. We signed free agents and tried to be able to make them good, which they've done great. Axford's been great. Clipper's been great. But it, it's just different when you say, "Hey, are we serious about winning? We're gonna run out there, Chad Green." Uh, David Robertson, Dylan Batances, and Chapman, that's going, we're winning, right? That's something. When you're going out there and you have the guys that we have, can we compete? Yes. Can they go out there and have they been good in their careers before? Yes. But is it is it the kind of level that we need to compete to win? No. Yeah, I think that definitely, for me, I didn't think the bullpen was going to be great coming in. Obviously, the Asuna thing, that goes beyond baseball. So that's a that's a disappointment of a different nature. If obviously, like you said, affects the baseball team enormously, but also affects the brand and the people involved in that. And there's that's just a huge that's a huge sort of black mark on what's happened this season. For me, what I wanted to outline was the duo of Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, because those are the two guys that you believed were going to lead you to have this strong rotation that was supposed to be the strength of the team was the rotation you're like okay we got stroman sanchez's back and that is and then we got you know hap and estrada will be steady and then we'll have a great rotation garcia whatever and you know stroman has been injured a little bit he's been good lately he definitely has been good since he comes he's come back but he hasn't been good in overall sense and early in the year he wasn't very good sanchez had some big outings but overall not what you thought you might see from him. Nothing like 2016. So I think that duo was the foundation upon which they thought they were going to build this very strong rotation. And if you look at what those guys have done collectively, it's just not enough for a 1-2 or if you want to call half the 2-1-3, whatever it is. Front of the rotation guys needed to be better for this team to be a playoff contender. And for me, they just didn't give enough and you don't want to blame guys for injuries and injuries are a factor but they just didn't get whatever way you want to call it they didn't get enough from those yeah guys. I mean it, it, at the end of the day you look at Tampa when Tampa was winning right what did they have better than everybody else this young and rotation what were, where they were they were good like a good starting rotation yeah. right and that's these guys that was one thing Tampa always you you knew that Tampa we were in trouble or it was going to be a big a, a tough matchup because they had really good starting pitching in baseball. What wins? Pitching, pitching, 
pitching. Pitching wins, man. It, it just is what it is. It's just if you can't score runs, you can't win. I don't care how good your offense is. And if you think about it, it's more of a fail, a game of failure for hitters, right? So that means that hitters are going to fail a lot more than pitchers. So I mean, the equation is there. It's it's pitching. Uh, Stroman obviously, as of late, has been very very good, and I've been happy to see how good he's been. I think that break he needed, the DL, whatever it is. He obviously is back and strong and looks good again and has has been the person that you need too late, obviously, because the team is out of it. But at least that's a positive. I will say not, I'm not going to give a, a an excuse for Sanchez. I told him I wouldn't say anything, so I'm not going to get into it. But he's also been pitching banged up this year. Let's just put it that way. So he hasn't been healthy from the beginning, from the pretty much from the gate this entire year, which is why we saw a lot more changeups. But again, I'll keep it at that. And so I have a little inside information. So I just want you to know that. And that's and that's a big that also makes it tough. But again, we've talked about it, right? If you want to go out there, you can't. You can't. The, the listen, fire in a bottle happens, or lightning in a bottle, whatever you want to say, happens very seldomly, right? And when you're going out there and you think that the guys that you sign because you're going to say like oh I can get him on a two-way deal and to see he's he was you know a good starting pitcher at one point in his career let's see if he could be a good starting pitcher again uh, and that's your your fifth starter and you sign him for a, you know low money and hope to get a lot out of him like it's just not winning right you you have to go out there at the end of the day if you want to win you can't there's not a lot of shortcuts you can take in anything, business, you want to be good in business, it's tough to take shortcuts. You want to be good in sports, it's tough to stay, take shortcuts. Same thing with life. And there was, I feel like, this year, to get putting the team together, there was a lot of shortcuts taken in the sense of, hey, well, maybe we'll sign this guy, who we'll give him a, we'll give him a minor league deal, invite him to big league camp. We know that he's going to make the team, and we don't have to pay him a lot of money. The market, they had already pushed down the market, yada, yada, yada. And again, that's what you get. You get a middle-of-the-pack team. Pitching their 10th in the American League in the bullpen and starting. So you get a middle of the pack. And so, yeah, do they, you look at the standings, they're in the middle of the pack. But the problem is the middle of the pack is over 20 games out because the top of the pack is freaking good. Yeah, and that's the thing is that there's not much margin for error when the sort of super teams, for lack of a better word, in the American League are so strong. So one of the guys on one of those teams, that's a pretty weak segue, but whatever, we're going to go with it, is joining us now. It's going to be Jan Gomes, catcher on the Cleveland Indians, definitely a playoff contender, a World Series contender, and uh, we're going to get into it with him about his team, his past, and of course, Brazil at the World Cup. All right, today we're joined by Jan Gomes, uh, as I said before, Brazilian baseball pioneer, also former Blue Jay we're going to start with the World Cup. As I mentioned before, I've been left uh, heartbroken. England had a magical run this year. It came to an end. People were worried for my safety. Everything's okay now, but it really uh, it was a problem. Things for Brazil were arguably even rougher considering the expectations. So I want to ask you, where are you sitting with this loss? How did this World Cup go compared to your expectations? I think every every World Cup, our expectations are extremely high. And then when we start hearing about how, uh, you know what, this could be the team, this team is really good, and then you kind of watch them play and, you know, end up losing. Um, it Like you said, you, you're, you're heartbroken and, and so am I. So we can both uh, 
sit here and cry about our, our, our losses in the World Cup. Yeah, I have uh, close friends who are Brazilian, and uh, they're in some, you know, there's some serious soul-searching mode right now. I think for me it's a little bit easier because England did go, you know, arguably farther than we thought. I want to ask you about watching the World Cup in a, in a big league scenario because in the Blue Jays clubhouse, I think it's funny because they're always playing baseball, but no one's watching. <laughs> and now the World Cup comes on in the clubhouse. There's like 12 TVs no. and everyone's no, watching. Funny. Like Aledmas Diaz had an Argentina jersey the other day. Mm-hmm. Russell Martin was just cheering for France. In your experience in the big league clubhouse, what is a World Cup like in terms of te- other teams people have and how seriously they take it? Uh, you know what? It's kind of similar to the, the Toronto clubhouse because I think we, we, we end up having doing some things where guys are, end up cheering for a team. And, I mean, it's on nearly every TV in our clubhouse. You know, it was a little bit, it was cool this year because we had, um, you know, Oliver Perez, he's Mexican, so he was like, and I mean, he extremely passionate in Brazil and that are playing Mexico, so I escaped that one. I mean, we ended up winning. So, uh, but, yeah, it's it's pretty similar on the uh, intensity that guys end up watching the World Cup. Were you able, after the loss, obviously, were were you able to, uh, the guys just give it to you, the sense of, you know how it is in the clubhouse. We always are going back and forth. I'm sure, I'm, sh- I'm, sh- so how did, so how did that work? <laughs> because at the beginning though, you were looking sexy because Brazil was doing well. You guys be Mexico, whatever. And then, so how did it work? Were you on some guys and then all of a sudden everybody got back on you? And then do the, how do the guys that are from the U.S.? Because like for me, I don't know who's, I couldn't really hop on a team. I didn't really, I mean, uh, how does, how do the guys, do you give them crap for going like, oh, all of a sudden you're a fan of so-and-so? It, it, I mean, there's a little bit of everything like that. Uh, well, the thing is, man, if you, if you, you're going to dish it out, especially, you know, Brazil being the favorite once Germany went down, you know, you're kind of feeling, like you said, kind of feeling sexy, kind of feeling confident, and then they lose, you know you're going to hear it. But I, I, I try to, you know, play it cool. I, I, I try to play it to where, like, oh, come on. I mean, I don't really care, I mean, you know. It's not a <laughs> downplay it really bad, even though I'm going back in my locker and just, you know, having, you know, crying text messages from my parents. But whenever I get a, like you said, like, a, like an American coming, I'm like, dude, I can tell you what, though. USA did really good, too. They didn't lose a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, it's like oh, what you know? They're playing the NIT tournament. Kind of, I mean, you know, I kind of try to get it back a little bit, but you know, at the end of the day, it was a disappointing loss. But uh, yeah, I mean, if I dish it out, I got to be able to take it. What was your take on all the attention that Neymar got for uh, the role, like the rolling and the diving? Which, I, you know, everyone does it to an extent. Neymar, obviously, I think he, it's fair to say he took it to another level and it really uh, it captured people's imaginations. We'll put it that way. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it is in better. And I think just in soccer in general, because it, it, it is an art to, to create fouls and, and get guys to think you got, you know, your, your leg decapitated. It, it, it's, it's one of those things, man. And uh, it gets kind of embarrassing because everyone kind of associates you with it. And, I mean, I'm like, 
far and beyond, you know, anywhere near that kind of like act. But I mean, you see a lot of guys do it. You know, some guys are just uh, more theatrical than others. Hey, you know, obviously this is a baseball podcast as well, so we like to talk about a lot of fun things. But then, yeah, we try to we try to talk a little bit about baseball, but we're talking about the All Star break, right? And I was saying earlier, for you know, sometimes if depending on the way your year goes, you're like that day can't come, that those four days can't come good uh, quick enough. But even then, when you're going good, it, it can't come quick enough because you're you're excited to kind of get away. What a what a All Star for you? What is All Star break looking like? Obviously, with the kiddos and stuff like that you guys got some good plans and then talk about the mental part of it right because it's it's more of a mental and a physical because obviously you catch every freaking day yeah uh i mean it also breaks are really important just for for everyone to not so much physically you know get your body back it's really like you said mentally um you're gonna go we're actually going taking off to the beach just just do something completely different and not you know, like today, you know, you, you wake up and you're kind of having to start to, to think about the next team's lineup or who's pitching that day. Just kind of like shut down for a couple of days and just get away. You know, try as much as you can not to talk about, you know, baseball. Because, I mean, it is our job, but it, it tends to, you know, put some uh, some stress and we get four days to kind of just relax and not think about it. And uh, you try really hard to just go as far away as you can. But then, you know, within the next two or three days, just, you know, come back into it. But, um, yeah, look, look, looking into it is really just, uh, you know, we actually have a pretty big series right now. So, we, you know, it was, it was good to kind of put the end of the, the first half on the on the. Uh, such a good series right now, too. Though, yeah, obviously we're both catchers, um, and the, we go into the games. People don't realize that, right? From the from the minute you wake up, obviously you have your family, you have your kids, but you're, there's still there's still things that you're, you're getting ready. And you guys are playing the New York Yankees. It, talk about for for one thing is is preparing for a lineup like that, right? Like, it, you know, obviously there's not many holes. But what your what a day looks like for a catcher. You get to the yard. People don't realize that you're there at the beginning. We were talking yesterday, and you're obviously you were at the computer because you knew you knew you were telling me some numbers. So talk about how your day looks like getting ready for a team, and obviously getting ready for a team that has zero holes in it, pretty much. Yeah, I mean you have to kind of try try your best to simplify it in a way. You know, pick out you know three or four guys. I mean they. Like you said, they 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 have an extremely deep lineup. They they have a obviously resources to go get anybody. So it's not like they they have the holes in there, but they they are a very pitchable team. Uh, you just have to really focus on the the little things that you know that help you out with them. But then at the end of the day, man, you know I, I like to really focus on our pitching staff. I, I think we have a tremendous pitching staff that that we can pitch against anybody. But then, you know, you, I, I feel like a lot of times people get in trouble trying to go through the uh, A through Z, you know, scouting report on D.D. Gregorius instead of just being like, man, just get two, three points and then just pitch the game that your pitcher throws. Because then, I mean, that can get exhausting. And then if one thing's not working, you're trying to have to bounce back from another. 
and instead of using your pitcher's uh, strength. So I try to focus mainly on that, but I mean, the, the resources that, that we have around here and, and they're very, uh, you can get them very quickly in the middle of games. So you try not to, to make it so difficult on yourself. So we talked a little bit in this interview about getting back on topic for this podcast. This is a Blue Jays podcast, so I want to touch on one thing to do with the Blue Jays. And this might be unfair because Brazil is a country of you know 210 plus million people. I want to ask you, through the Brazilian baseball grapevine such that it exists, if it exists, <laughs> what have you heard about Eric Pardinho? Because he's starting to create some waves in the Blue Jay system as a prospect that people are uh, pretty excited um, about. I think he should. Uh, from as far as much as I know, he throws really hard. He's a young kid with a, a really, really good arm. Um, and to be honest, that's a, it's about as much as I know. I know he had a, a, a decent uh, WBC qualifier, came in throwing some heat, and um, I've uh, it's hard for me to keep up with the younger generation and like uh, the, uh, the baseball in Brazil. Um, I know more of like the guys that are up here because you know I, I live out here and it's kind of hard to, to keep up with stuff on there. Well, no, but that's you know what's cool is here. Here's the thing: one, I I totally understand when you're in the big leagues, man. Like it's tough. You if you're focusing your your energy on other things other than the task at hand, it's already such a hard league that you it's gonna kill you. It'll it'll you won't be able to survive. But also, how you know obviously you get asked this all the time, and I and I'm fired up for you. You, your career has been great. You'll continue to have a great career, and then you're always going to go down as the guy, the first Brazilian-born major leaguer. At some point, is it something where you know you want to go back or be able to build that? Because as you know, how many good athletes? People don't know this about Jan. I'm going to brag him up a little bit. Was a phenomenal high school football player. Was a phenomenal wrestler as well. And so this guy was, and he played center field in high school. This guy was a center fielder. And now he's a catcher in the big league. So like this guy is a phenomenal athlete, Brazilians, phenomenal athletes in general. You know, what do you got on that? I mean, man, when I first got that call up in 12 and uh, JP was there, um, it, 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 it didn't dawn on me then what I was, what I had done. I mean, I, you know, I gotten called up. I was, you know, super happy for that moment. I was happy for myself, for my family. You know, we, you get to be in Toronto. So like, Celebrate such a big moment, but then I started seeing like, you know, I get calls and like, did you know you're the first Brazilian-born baseball player? Like that, I had like, you know, you obviously had some kind of ideas. You know, you, you know, you grow up playing a little bit in Brazil, but you don't understand that. But you know, I started getting getting in Toronto, and they, man, I can't, I can't thank Toronto enough for how they received me there, man. Like, uh, I love going up to the plate, and I got. You know, welcome Gomes with um, like Brazilian flags everywhere, and I mean it couldn't have been more perfect. You know, like Toronto is is such an amazing city, and I know there's, I mean, I, I met so many like Brazilians there, and it was like such a comfortable place to go play. And I, I loved every minute of it. The next year or so, I got to go down to Brazil and see the reception there. I was uh, so honored, and like you said, coming from a country of like so many athletes to be the first one in, in baseball was, uh, was a tremendous honor. Well, now now to loosen it up a little bit, obviously, you know, 
We also talk about one thing Nick likes is is to asking guests about food. I don't know if there's anything that's better tasting than picanha, but our boy Nick over here loves him some American barbecue. He's a Canadian guy, but he loves him some American barbecue. We're we're talk talk a little bit. Is do you think are you biased? Do you think that that obviously uh, the the Brazilian steakhouse churrasqueria is 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 much better than U.S. barbecue? Or do you got where do you got it on the list? Oh man, I I, I enjoy every single American like anything any kind of food, but you cannot compare. You can't put it like that's what Brazilians do. If you go to any kind of barbecue, any kind of like, and we call it barbecue different. We're not talking about putting, you know, barbecue sauce on things. It's just meat, you know, salt. And I mean, the way they cook and grill out there, there's nothing like it. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I love the steakhouses here. I love everything, but there's not any steakhouse or anything that compares to the, you know, a Brazilian steakhouse. Um, it, it just doesn't quite, it's, it's in a different level. Well, I think I want to set the record straight before we let you go. <laughs> I think JP set me up in an unfair way there. I do love my American barbecue, but I was, I spent some time in Brazil last year. I love the food there. I was not trying to make a comparison. I was not trying to say one was better than the other. And I think that JP is just trying to sewer me there and make me look uncultured. But uh, no, Jan, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You guys have unbelievable food down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a great note. We want to thank you for coming on, and we appreciate uh, your time. Well, thank you, guys. appreciate you guys having me. All right, Jan, kick the Yankees ASS today. All right, All right man. Well, thank you, man. Good. There's a different way to talk to you, JP, but always good to talk right. to you. <laughs> All right, dude, see ya. All right, so for this episode's Memory Lane I, I'm going to admit it's not very creative, but I'm going to go with what's sitting right in front of me. The All-Star break. I wanted to ask you about your memories of the All-Star break. What would you do with that time? Unfortunately, not selected. So you, you have the time off. Uh, what would you do with that time? What are some, um, some of your best All-Star break memories? And how important was that break and sort of the grind of the MLB season that people always talk about? How important is having that time off? Well, uh, there was a lot of questions there, so I'll try to m- remember them with uh, and get them little by little. But okay, so first, yes, I never made an All Star game, and I was pissed off one year because I had more home runs, better average, better RBIs than Russell Martin, and he made the All Star game because he was with the Yankees, and I didn't because I was with the Blue Jays. So that was one thing I remember going like, "Well, I have better numbers than these catchers, but whatever is what it is." Uh, as we see sometimes if you're not on on a team that's that's fan like in the sense of fan popular voting obviously some of these people like why Blake Snell is not in the major league all-star game and is not even in the conversation for starting is is completely asinine to me but he plays for Tampa you know so that's tough that's part of it but so that was for me. I never got to make it so I'll get that off my chest. I did make it in the minor leagues but who cares about that? Then, All-Star break. Now, if you talk about 
when you can breathe as a baseball player, some of these dudes that are struggling, this is like, holy smokes. Thank you, Jesus, to get to this to this part because you just want a break. You want to get away. You want to absolutely do nothing. Don't talk baseball. Don't do anything. A lot of guys will go to the beach somewhere. I've I've had, you know, a lot of, some people go to Hawaii. Some people go down to the Caribbean. A lot of guys used to go down to Atlantis, the Bahamas, uh, and, and hang out there. When I was single, uh, I used to come home and just relax for the all-star break and, and get away. Uh, when I was married, obviously at the time I would, I would go on the road and try to see where my wife was at on the road and, and uh, be able to see her while she was touring or wherever it may be. And then for me, one of my most memorable all-star breaks was actually in 2014. So I, I got off to a slow start with the Texas Rangers. I was the opening day starter. I sucked. They sent me down in May. Uh, in late May, they sent me down. So now I'm in AAA and trying to figure out what am I going to do to save my career? Well, we go down, all-star break. Triple A, see, lower le- levels don't have the same all-star breaks, but Triple A and the big leagues pretty much have the same all-star break. So uh, I had been really, really hot in Triple A. I had gotten right again, and I had like 14 home runs in a month and a half. Like I was playing really good. And so the all-star break, I was kind of like, man, I really hope that I get brought up. And uh, sure enough, during that all-star break, I was I – was, at home and I got a call from John Daniels and he said, Hey, listen, man, I just want to let you know that, uh, we are going to be bringing you up after this all-star break. You've done everything you needed to do to get, you know, to prove that you're ready again. So come on back up. And it happened to be that we were coming back to play Toronto. So it was, so it was the all-star, we opened up the all-star game back in Toronto or after the all-star all-star game, we opened up the second half on the road in Toronto, which was nice. It was nice to come back. I came back to a, a, a good amount of booze, which I thought was pretty interesting because I, I really hadn't really done anything wrong to the fans other than kind of didn't play good my last year. But uh, And it was fun because I was able to come back and, and I was able to take uh, R.A. Dickey deep that first game back and kind of a little bit of a, of a, yeah, take that kind of thing when I, when I did that. But that was the most memorable to me because I was in a really tough headspace. I was trying to figure out what the heck, man? What am I going to do? Is is Am I going to be in AAA for the rest of my career? Am I going to get ever get back to the big leagues? Like These are the doubts that we go through in our heads uh, as athletes and as anyone goes through doubts. And so when I got that call, that was a huge, uh, you know, pickup for me because I was like, wow, I'm, I'm back. You know, I got knocked down. And it's when you get knocked down, it's easy to go like, shoot, am I ever going to stand back up? Well, I got back up, and it was during that 2014 All-Star break, so it was pretty cool. So you mentioned that guys who are struggling, that's a really, really productive time for them to just get away however they choose to do that. If you're going really well, like you said you were that one season, is it kind of a drag? Like You're like, man, I'm killing it right now, and I just want to keep this rolling. No, it's not as much. You're just, you're just in a different mental space, right? Like we're, If you're struggling, you need to blow, and you just need to get away. When you're going good you're like, all right, this is good. These four days are good for my body and my, my body will rest, but I'm, re- you know, I'm excited to get going, you know, again in four days or whatever it may be. Right. So a lot of guys, you know, 
not that they don't want to go to the All-Star game, right? You always want to go to the All-Star game, but a lot of the guys, you know, kind of look forward to that break more because of the physical toll, right? If I can if I can go home and, you know, everyone plays with with some something that's kind of bugging them and, and kind of get four days off or go to the All-Star game and maybe try to take it easy, whatever it may be. But no, I don't think that they – I don't think that – if you're going good and you and you get that four day layoff, that it'll be any worse. It's honestly just because you're in a good space already mentally, and so you're confident. But uh, the one thing obviously we'll see is what's what I think is funny is the old, uh, the guys that after the home run derby, there's gonna be somebody that's gonna fall off, and then it's always it's always a story. It's always gonna be. Well, you know, the home run derby. It was a home run derby. So I, that's the one thing I think will be funny. And hopefully, obviously, no one gets injured. I uh, I want to see the opposite happen with Bryce Harper. I want to see Bryce Harper go off at the home run derby and then just have a huge end to the season so he could get that ridiculous contract. Because I'm sad. I was looking forward to the... 400 million contract and now uh i'm i'm a bit uh concerned it's not gonna i don't think i don't think we're gonna way. get the 400 million man i mean i, I listen i call me crazy but i don't think uh that we're gonna get the 400 million dollars do i want the guys to get as much money but i think people are showing that you could you could get let you can get more sometimes look at look at soto like right now that team's going uh yeah, Harper's leaving. That sucks. He's probably one of the best players. Should we sign him back? Uh, let me see. We got Soto for the next however many years at at league minimum, and then arbitration. Yeah, we'll we'll take that, right? Like that's just the game, the way it's becoming now. That's that's for me. I don't think that we would have seen four hundred million. That that's how I feel. But here, I have a question. Here's here's something that I think this is off topic, but this is something that I saw and I wanted I'd ask you about it. How about right. how about David Price them talking about him opting out if he would consider it and he says nothing nothing's impossible like that that there's nothing that couldn't happen you I mean that's it's, you're walking away from 270 million and he it, what do you got on that I mean I think there's a difference between a business decision and a personal decision right I think it would be a pretty bad business decision for him to walk. I'm pulling up the contract now. I think it'd be a bad business decision for him to walk away from that money. Sorry right to now. drop. Sorry to drop but, that on you. I know you're going to the research, but I just I saw that and I'm like, man, this is crazy. That guys could opt out and they're struggling, and still feel. Okay, so he's got four more years at 127 that he can that he can stay with. So I don't think he's going to do better than that. But if he really is miserable in Boston and he's made enough money in his career and he thinks, you know what, I'm going to lose some money, but I'll still, he'll still make good money, especially if he pitches well. Maybe that's, you know, I would applaud that decision. Sometimes it's not all about money in life. You know, you got to, you got to chase oh, your happiness. Oh, it's definitely not about money. I just thought that was crazy that that was even a, a conversation, especially the way the Red Sox are rolling and stuff like that to ask that dude, you know, but uh, that's you know getting on to contracts i just think i don't think that was if we're gonna get to 400 million i don't know you might see more like a more average uh, a year with a shorter contract but it's tough to say or you here's here's instead of giving that money do you get percentage of stake you give them like a percentage of stake in the in the team uh i don't know it's gonna i don't i just don't see the money getting that crazy i think 
I think they're going to start having to get creative with these contracts. We'll see what, I mean, I, I think if Harper had had that incredible year this year, we would have some very interesting conversations to have. Sneakily, Machado, his contract's going to be insane. When Trout's contract comes around, that's when I think we could see kind of the whole paradigm shift because that's kind of totally different, at least since A-Rod and his prime, and it's been so long since then that the numbers have to be really different. So I think that's the one perhaps where we're going to have to take a step back and think, okay, how can we do this a little bit differently because we got to reward this guy. That brings us to outside the nest today because we are, this is a, we're talking about money in a sense. We're talking about the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that's often been threatened to move. So this is a team you played with most recently, and they recently put out this plan for a new ballpark that would be the smallest ballpark in the major league. So a capacity under 31,000, but with glass roof, tons of windows, and it looks totally different. And I just wanted to add, I think everyone knows Tropicana Field's not the best. I think everyone knows that they probably need to get a new park. I want to get a sense from you having played at Tropicana Field so extensively. As a player, what does that ballpark do? And is that ballpark a, a nasty place to come to work? Uh, it's not a nasty place, right? Like, I, I mean, I, I'd hate to say that it's a nasty place. You're in the major leagues and it's, and it's actually not a terrible uh, stadium, but it's just not, uh, not in a great location. I think the fan experience is obviously not great because that's why, that's why fans don't enjoy going to the game as much. Um, I think that the whole, if you build it, they will come. I think that's definitely part of it. If you put the, this is an Ebor city it's in the, it'll be better to get to. And from looking at the plans, man, it, it would look like a, a full on like big time entertainment, uh, area for to just not only just to watch the game. And I think that if you're, if you're building stadiums right now, you're kind of in a good time because I think you have to you have to kind of look at entertainment, right? Like I think I think that's a big part of it is being able to look at entertainment entertainment because think about you know the the value or the the attendance is down in a lot of places and I think you have to make it a, a full on experience and I think that stadium would make it kind of a full on experience, right? I think that's something that 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 stadium would be able to do. It looks beautiful. It's in a great area. I think location, location, location as well. From I learned from the the McDonald's uh, movie, Ray Kroc or whatever. So I learned that as well. But I think it'd be I think it'd be huge. I think it would help them out, and and they have to. And if they don't, I think they end up losing their team. Well, there is a th- a subplot here from a Canadian perspective. I think a lot of people were holding out hope that someday the Rays might end up being the Montreal Expos again. And then they'd have a rivalry in the AL East with yeah, Toronto, but, and they. But that's it. Looks like yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't want to cut you off, but yes, I'm going to cut you off because I just came. I was just in Montreal, and and I was you know talking to some people, and they were saying how even this year, right, the t- attendance for that pregame, the pre you know the warm up game, the attendance was was oh, way yeah. down, and so at the end of the day, if you want to sh- show Major League Baseball that you want to be able to have a team that was a huge strike right there and i think i I mean i'm just being honest from from what i understood there was a lot of sections that had to be closed off so on tv it looked different and you know the 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 reception the attendance wasn't was in a in such that it kind of put a sour 
you know, taste in, in people's mouths. So I don't, I don't know. I think, I think that, uh, that they, they missed, they missed an opportunity there. Yeah. So I was at that series covering those games and it was definitely not that impressive a crowd. Now, one factor that is worth noting is that they moved the series. It used to be on the weekend and then it got moved to Monday, Tuesday. But at the end of the day, like you said, you still, if you're trying to attract a team, you got to show that support. They didn't really show that support, and I think that that's something that I'm not going to say it could never happen, but it's definitely in the rear view right now, especially the way Tampa seems to be moving forward. And I'm happy for those fans because th- that team has been good for quite a while. I know they have diehard fans, and hopefully this will bring out more of the casual fans and just kind of fill out a fan base for a team that I think deserves better. They've been very smart. They've been well-run. They've had a lot of great players on that team, and I think, unfortunately, that stadium has really hamstrung them because they can't draw the huge crowds at Tropicana that would have helped them bring in the revenue to maybe spend more money on the team and things like that. So as much as I'd like to see a team back in Montreal at some point, I think it's kind of good for baseball to see the way the Rays are progressing. Yeah, and and listen, I'm a Florida boy, right? Like I I grew up in, in Florida. Some of the best baseball is in Florida, Texas, California, all these weather, you know, all time good weather states where you could play all year round. I think it's great. We we should have two major league teams in this in this city or in this in this state. We should we should. I mean, it's it's unfortunate here uh, in Miami where I'm I'm doing this out of right now. Uh, you know, the the attendance is like dismal. Like it, I saw that the other day it was like seven oh, like seven thousand at a game, which to me is insane. But again, it, it's it all has to do with this. This could be a great place, right? If you build it, look at the heat. You know, you get these crowds, you get good attendance. Great. If you don't build it, this is also a place where they're gonna, not going to be a part of it. So it's. I think that's that has to be said. I mean, look at Toronto. Toronto's an am- an amazing sports town when you're winning, right? Like, but when you're losing, look how much the numbers fall off. So I mean, it just it, you have to if you want to build a stadium and if you want to have a successful franchise, you got to be able to invest. You have to be able to invest and and. and you know, be able to put the the product on the field and and also the the entertainment. You don't you don't go and you don't stay in a in a crappy hotel because you don't like the feeling of being in a crappy hotel unless that's the only thing you can afford. But you want to be in a, in a better place because it's it's more comforting. It's the same thing about these games. You want to go to a place where if I bring my kids, it's an awesome experience. If I go myself, it's an awesome experience. It's got to be fun. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to me is that you have to be able to make sure you you build these stadiums and you put them uh in the way that where, you know, fans are going to want to come out and then you also put the the players on the field that fans want to go out and and see. And it seems to me that they've taken what is the worst part of Tropicana Field that it's really dark and also potentially that it's too big for the crowds to attract and they said, "Okay, here are the problems." And it seems like they're coming head on with real solutions. Let's make a lot of glass. Let's let the light in. Let's make it a little bit smaller, more intimate. And so that, for me, that's a good sign. It seems like they're taking the feedback and they're directly funneling that into their new project. So I, I think we're, we're happy for the Tampa Bay Rays. Good job, guys. Hopefully you can make that plan a reality and uh, give the Blue Jays actually even more trouble in that division with uh, another Yeah, just team. watch out with the glass, though, because as we know, shadows make a huge difference for hitting. And so you want to you wanna piss some people off real quick. Also, birds. There's a lot of bird issues when you got glass. You're gonna have PETA all over you, 
Uh, they had that issue in Minnesota with the NFL stadium. There's too much glass and people were worried about this bird safety. So there's some landmines. There's you some can landmines. Never, you but, can uh, never win, a, dude. You can never, you can, you can't win anything you do. So just try to not lose as much. All right. We're going to finish it off the same way we always do with JP career trivia. JP has clawed back to a passing grade. He's at 13 for 25 right now, which is a hard 52%. That's I passing? Believe. Uh, I think it's passing in high school, but not university. Wow. Anyway, we're, we're going to call it a pass. And this one was in honor of Mark Reynolds the other day, had his 10 RBI game. So I dug up JP's biggest RBI game. And it kind of, I think it's interesting because people, I think, know so much about your debut. They think like that's the quintessential JP game, but arguably this one could be. So I'm going to ask... Here are the questions. So it's for five possible points. Um, I know that you know the answer to one of these questions. So the first question is number of RBI. Second question is opposing team. Uh, third question is the two pitchers you homered off in that game. So that's worth one point each. And the last question is the season. So I think you're going to do pretty well. Yeah, I'm crushing on this, this one. He's, you're going to crush it. So tell us about this game arguably the greatest jp game that maybe blue jays fans do not know yeah about. and i and i still get mad at it sometimes when i see like that that people put on tv or like they'll they'll put like four hit games with four extra bases and that they, they don't put my name up there because for whatever reason maybe i'm not as sexy as a name but i remember this game quite well it was actually after i got back in from the all-star break in 2014 with the Texas Rangers, and I was doing really, really good. I was really, really – I led that team in home runs and RBIs the second half in Texas. And so I felt good. And I remember it also because it was Jeter's last season. And I hope that I'm correct because there's two games where I had, I'm pretty sure, seven RBIs. So I know it's seven RBIs is is the so – you're, you're correct on – you've got two right now. You've got – You've got RBIs correct, and you've got season yeah, correct. Yeah. So okay. So I so, so I know. And hold okay. on, hold on. I got you. Let me finish. Let me. I'm <laughs> painting the picture right here. I'm okay, Picasso okay. right now. So my first at bat was against Brandon McCarthy, and I hit a double. Uh, and my second at bat, I think, was against him as well, and I hit a home run. My third at bat, I don't. I think was against him as well, and I hit another double. And then I remember this because the Yankees were beating us up pretty good that game, but they were all, they were up like seven or six. And I came up with the bases loaded, and they brought in – Joe Girardi brought in Dylan Batances to face me because obviously I was having a good game. And I hit a grand slam off of him uh, to make it a close game again. And so I remember doing that, and that was that – was, you know, honestly, if when people ask like, hey, what was your best game, I think – that that was probably my best game that I remember. I had one that was really good in Baltimore as well when I was with Tampa, but it that I hit two home runs in as well, or I, it was something like that. But this one was by far one because it was Jeter's last uh, kind of go around, so the crowd was was insane. I got to I was like messing around with him when I'd get to the second base and all these different things. But um, yeah, that was that was that game. So you got five for five. That's gonna put you well back on track. I think that. Quick mental math here. That's going to put you at 18 for 30. 
So that's going to put you back at a 60% average, which is a pass no, no matter how you slice it. Yes, exactly. So, but yes, I remember that. And I, and I, that was definitely one of my better games that, you know, like you said, people think about my debut because it, it was, but that was definitely, uh, and especially because they had brought Batances in to face me there and I was able, so I'm one for one in my career off Dylan Batances with a grand slam. That, that is not bad at all. What is it like to have that kind of game? But you lose, like you ended up, you guys lost this game 12 to 11. Pretty wild game, actually. It's weird, right? To have that level of game and you can't really, or maybe you're not able to celebrate quite the way you wanted to because everyone's bummed out about the loss. Like, how does no, that happen? No, 100%. Like you're saying, it's like, it's one of those things where you have to kind of under, you have to wait to leave the stadium to kind of really enjoy it because. Like, yeah, it was a great game, but we still lost. So, I, like, in the post game, I remember, you know, obviously they had interviewed me and all these different things, and I'm going like, yeah, was it awesome? It was it was awesome, but we didn't win. I didn't do my job, right? So so that that inside, I'm going, heck, yeah, that game was freaking badass. Are you kidding me? I was, <laughs> heck, I, like, I feel like I'm one of the, the – I feel really sexy about myself right now, but to – yeah, I think you did your job. I think it's fair to say you did your yeah, job. Yeah, but then in the, you know, in the media, in the media, <laughs> and I was playing first base, so it's a little different too. When you're catching and you give up, the other team scores twelve runs. You kind of wear it, right? Like you're like, dang it, I didn't call a good game yeah. or whatever. But uh, I was playing first base because Prince Fielder was hurt. So uh, yeah, it's it sucks. You kind of you kind of want to if if you lose and you have a great game, it kind of sucks because you know you want to feel good about yourself and and. Uh, you can't really do it until you're home. And then when you get home, you can be like, yeah, I'm the man. Look, look at me. <laughs> Text everybody. Look at that. <laughs> you see that? All right. So that is us for the 10th episode. We've made it to double digits. Hope you guys still continue to subscribe and look for it on iTunes, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us. Thanks for sticking with us through 10. Hopefully, we'll have plenty more in the future. Go back and listen to the ones you missed. Been some great episodes. Luke Maley, one of my favorites. Alex Anthopoulos. I don't want to you know, prejudice myself against which ones. Uh, I don't want to say bad things about any of them, but those are a couple I really like. And uh, we're going to take an all-star break of our own, so we'll, we'll catch you in a couple weeks. <laughs>